we're a growing church. And that requires us to, to think bigger than where we are right now. And uh, we made mention that, that this year our plan is to, to purchase a piece of property or purchase a, even a church building. We've got a church building that has uh, kind of come available to us. And so our incredible church board has been, been meeting. They met last Monday. and We met for about three hours. And uh, they're meeting again this Saturday. And uh, our board is tasked with the, the, the job of kind of looking at all the options and coming up with what is the best option. And then when they come to that conclusion, we'll bring it to the body uh, here, here at Lighthouse. And, and I'm, I'm excited. There's, there's just a, a, a hunger. There's a move. There's a, 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 a deep presence of God. And I believe that there's so many things that's connected to that. First off, I believe it's because you love Him and you've got a relationship with Him and you're, you're, you're feeling after the presence of God. And whenever a church, whenever a body of Christ gets connected to the Holy One, then the sky is the limit. And that's where I feel. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn me to Exodus. Actually, let's start in Ephesians. We'll get to Exodus here in a minute. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. I believe it was Sunday morning. Last Sunday morning is a service that it's hard for me to quantify and put into words. I've told several that last Sunday morning may very possibly be the most powerful move of God I've ever been a part of. And, and I've been in some incredible presences of God and church services, but last Sunday morning was powerful. Somewhere in the middle of all of that, this verse, this this uh, uh part of Ephesians chapter 6 came to my mind and and it's been it's been uh, on the forefront of, of everything that I do and think for the last week or so and uh, God began to open up some other things and then um, last I was blessed to go to Jackson Mississippi uh, Friday night and Saturday it was a whirlwind trip taught at a Mississippi teachers training event and Brother Donnie Sharon preached an incredible message Friday night. And uh, God just kind of put it all together. And I told Brother Sharon, I said, I'm glad you preached. I'm going to go back and preach part of your message at Lighthouse. And so uh, I'll tell you when I get to that place. I'll give him credit. But uh, I, I believe God has a message for this church and for you as an individual. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the King James says the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to do, stand firm. Can I just help you out for a second I, I have a very pragmatic view of life I don't see demons behind every shadow when bad things happen I don't go up the devil's fighting me if uh, and I've, I've been known to do this before but if I back into a, a car or back into a pole I don't go man the devil's attacking me I go Buford you idiot you shouldn't have been on your phone texting you with me when I get sick, I don't look and say, oh, it must be a spirit of infirmity. I better 
cast it out. It could be that I've been around children or been around people that are sick or it's just that time of year. I don't see demons. I don't see uh, 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 that around every bush. That being said, the Bible tells us that we are in a spiritual fight. And while I think we have to be careful how we examine it and how we, uh, you don't need to give the devil any more, pre- any more uh, 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 you know, glory than what, what he's done. Don't, don't give him all of the, the privilege of being over everything in your life. But we are in a spiritual battle. And today I want to preach to you a little bit what happens when the devil gets tired of you. What happens when the devil gets tired of you? Would you just close your eyes or lift your hands, however you so feel inclined, and would you pray? Father, we thank you today. Lord, we bless your name. We're so honored to be in your presence. And God, I'm asking right now that over the next little bit, you would let your word come alive. Let your presence be multiplied in this place. And would you speak to the hearts of those that are here in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You can be seated when the devil gets tired of you. For 430 years, Israel lived in a, a, some sort of a state of kind of captivity. Maybe at the beginning it wasn't all that bad, but as the, the years progressed and the centuries progressed, the taskmaster's whip and the load that Israel carried became progressively worse. In fact, I believe it's the beginning of Exodus that talks about there arose a Pharaoh or there arose a king that knew not Joseph or the works that he had done. Somewhere in the, the, the years that followed that incredible salvation of Egypt through, through Joseph and the dreams that God had given Pharaoh and the interpretation there, there, there arose a king and they kind of forgot what Joseph did and he had passed from the scene. And he lent, began to look and he said, you know, those 70 people that came from Canaan's land, Joseph, and then he brought his family down. Those 70 people, God has blessed, and they've multiplied. And, 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 you know, if they really wanted to, they could rise up and they could, they could, you know, cause us some problems. And so somewhere in the middle of those 430 years, Pharaoh began to put his thumb down upon the children of Israel. Children of Israel, uh, at this point, there's no organized, you, you know, religion or, or no organized church of the living God, if you will. It would have had to have been passed down by, by, by generations of, of telling the story and talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to be honest, I'm not sure over those 430 years how often or how well the story and the plan that God had for his people, I don't know how well it was passed down. I do know that they at least had enough to call on the name of the Lord. In the midst of their bondage, in the midst of their groaning, they, they begin to cry and they begin to reach out to God and the word of God tells us that their cries and their groaning came into the throne room of God. It finally got to the place where Pharaoh told the midwives that every time a male Hebrew is born, kill that male Hebrew. And the midwives decided that they didn't like that and so they, they wouldn't do it. And then, of course, you have Moses and his family and the story that begins to unfold of Moses being born and his mother putting Moses into a, 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 an ark of bulrushes that, was, that had tar on it and, and, and put it in the, the Nile River for it to float and had Moses' little sister follow. I don't have time to go through the whole story of Moses. But, but there is something that I begin to, to realize is after Moses, you know, he, he, he decides, you know, he, he's raised by Pharaoh's daughter. 
Somewhere around his 40th year, he steps out of the palace and begins to look at his brothers, the Hebrews, and he sees uh, uh, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and he goes and tries to intervene and in the process he kills the Egyptian because of that Pharaoh is wroth and Moses runs away and goes into the wilderness there in the wilderness you have the burning bush experience you have God speaking to Moses saying you're going to go back you're going to be the one that lets that, that, that tells Pharaoh let my people go and, and then of course you have the story of the staff in Moses' hand and all of the miracles that come from that you have the that incredible statement of Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13 and the verses that follow where he says you know when I go to those people how are they going to know that I've talked to the God how are they going to know that I'm, I had a moment in the presence of almighty God and he says well you just go back and tell them I am that I am sent you he goes back to his father-in-law and he says I know I've been here for quite some time for decades even but God has called me back to Egypt and I'm going and and, and there's this statement in the middle of Exodus chapter 4 where Moses takes his wife and his sons and he headed back to the land of Egypt and he has the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, Pharaoh, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Did you know that before one plague had ever come on the scene of, of, of Egypt, God had already prophesied what the end was going to be? Now, I'm pretty confident Moses heard that, but it didn't, it didn't register in his mind. I don't know that Moses really knew what to do with that information as, as, as it all began to play out. He, he, he heard it, but I don't think he quite grasped how big this was going to be. He walked into Pharaoh's, strode into Pharaoh's uh, palace. Moses would have had some ability to walk there. He was raised in that palace, but it had been a long time since he had ran the halls there. And he looks a little bit different, maybe a long beard and long hair and holding a staff and rough clothes. He's no longer dressed in the finest of Egypt's garments. And he walks in there and with the power of God behind him, he points his finger to Pharaoh and he says, the God of all gods has told you, let my people go. It must have been a powerful moment. Well, all except Pharaoh laughing abhorrently on top of his throne and just trying to figure out what in the world this wild looking man running back into Pharaoh's home is going to do Aaron has come on the, 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 the scene as well and, 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 and now you have that picture where Moses said if you don't believe me watch this and Aaron throws down the rod and it turns into a snake and then Pharaoh has some magicians and they throw down their rods and they turn into snakes and I've kind of tried to figure all that out. But see, here's what I've come to the conclusion is. There is this understanding that the devil knows how to fight. And he knows how to, how to kind of throw down some counterfeits. But the cool thing is you got two snakes over here wiggling. You got one snake on this side wiggling. Brother Perryman would have done, or not Brother Perryman, Brother uh, Cozart would have done been leaving. He'd have been off the boat. Brother Perryman don't like spiders. He likes snakes, Brother. Cozart is okay with spiders. He hates snakes. 
think I've told you a story of fishing Brother Cozart. Snake was swimming, and I hooked that snake because that's what I do. And I started reeling in the boat, and I'm convinced when Brother Cozart told me, he said, here's the, how it works, Brandon. If that snake comes in the boat, you won't be in the boat anymore. And I decided I was more scared of Brother Cozart than I was of that snake. <laughs> but here's snakes writhing and wiggling, and, 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 and God's snake, if I can use that, God's snake ate the other two snakes. But that didn't bother Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And, and Pharaoh bowed up and said, I ain't letting the people of God go. And so you have this incredible cosmic battle between God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart is hard and he refuses to let the people go. And so God has Moses meet Pharaoh in the morning and there's the Nile River and he, he has him meet Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, I'm gonna give you one more chance. Let God's people go. Pharaoh puts his arms down and he says, not on your life. Do you know who you're dealing with? I'm the greatest king of the greatest kingdom that the world has ever seen at that moment. And Moses has, has uh, Aaron put over that, that, that rod and he strikes the water of the Nile and all of the water of the Nile turned to blood. And Pharaoh watches that. The Nile River, one of the greatest rivers in the world, turned to blood. And Pharaoh looks at his magicians and he says, hey, what can you do? And they go hit, not the Nile River, the Bible says, but they go hit and they turn the water into blood. And so they did the same. And so now all the water in Egypt has turned to blood. And I began to read that and I was struck how many times the devil throws counterfeits in our lives and the devil knows how to, how to play the game for so long and the devil knows how to get people's eyes off the, the, the real thing and so for a while there was this matching of miracle by miracle, God's miracle, Satan's counterfeit. Sometimes in the lives of us, Satan seems as if he can hold his own with the Lord. The water turned to blood. And then the second plague, when Pharaoh still hardened his heart, the second plague, it was Aaron stretched his hand over the waters of Egypt. Frogs came and covered the land. And the Bible says the magicians did the same. I just, I don't know. I, I read the Bible differently now. To me, that's hilarious. I have an idea. Let's put more frogs in the land. Not let's get rid of the frogs, which if those magicians did that, they may have had something going on. But here's God that says, well, I'll put frogs in the land. And Pharaoh looks at his magicians and said, what can you do? And they said, well, we can put more frogs in the land. One thing I've learned in my life, and I begin to see it, is that when the enemy begins to rear its head in our lives, there comes a point when what the enemy does is actually affecting the ones he's trying to keep. Because at that point, if I'm an Egyptian standing there, and, and, and we've seen it, we've played it out. If you've taught Sunday school, you've used it too. There were frogs, and the Bible seems to indicate it. There were frogs in their ovens. There was frogs in their pans. There were frogs in their bed. There were frogs in their, in, in, in their, in their bathtubs. Everywhere they looked, there were frogs. And at some point, Brother Miller, I'd like to think there was an Egyptian that said, What are you doing, Pharaoh? We had enough frogs. 
it goes on to play. And then, 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 then after the, the, the water turns to blood and after the frogs come, there's gnats. And this is where God begins to show the, the vast, broad change. Aaron stretches out his hand and strikes his staff and strikes the dust of the earth. Gnats everywhere. The magicians tried their best in their secret arts to do the same and they could not. And now God is kind of uh, uh, leading. There's flies that come. The fifth plague, Egyptian livestock dies. The fourth, the sixth plague, boils. The seventh plague, hail. And then the eighth plague, locusts. And then finally, that ninth plague, there is darkness. And the enemy, every time there's this understanding that, that, that Pharaoh has hardened his heart. And I promise you that after all of this, at the beginning, and I, I skipped over this, at the beginning when, when Moses came and said, God said, let my people go, Pharaoh said, I got an idea. How about, you know, the, the Hebrews, they've been making bricks. We've got a quote of bricks. And uh, the Egyptians, they provide the, the straw that gets mixed into the clay but I got an idea. How about we make the Hebrews have to gather their own straw and make the bricks and not lose any uh, uh, productivity? And so you have the, the Egyptians and, 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 and you have the Hebrews, and the Hebrews are telling Moses, hey, I don't think this is real smart. Why don't you stop? Everything you're doing, we, we, we've gone through nine plagues, and Pharaoh hasn't uh, uh, hard, uh, unhardened his heart. And so you have the Hebrews on one hand saying, you know, that's far enough, Moses. Why don't you just, why, let's just learn to be friends. Let's just learn to coexist with the enemy. It'll be okay. Maybe we don't have, maybe we can get out before the time is too bad. Let's stop while you're at hand. Finally, on that ninth plague, Pharaoh looks at Moses and he is so mad, he is so wroth. And he says to Moses, he says, get away from me and if I ever see your face again, I'm going to kill you where you stand. Threats from the enemy. But then that tenth plague came. It's a different type of plague. They put, you know, you have the Passover, they put the blood on the doorpost and the top of their door all that obeyed the voice of God at midnight the death angel began to pass through Egypt it didn't stop at the land of Goshen this time some plagues only happened to the Egyptians while the Hebrews were okay but this plague was going to hit the whole of the land and after midnight all across the land of Egypt whales begin to bring out or sound out Pharaoh's holding the lifeless body of his firstborn and in Exodus chapter 23, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 12, verse 29 and through 33, Pharaoh summons Moses. There was not a house in Egypt where there wasn't someone not dead, the Bible says. He summoned Moses and Haran, and he says, Get up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go, serve the Lord, take your flocks, take your herds, be gone, just leave and I begin to read that uh, this week after what God did last Sunday I begin to read that this week and the God began to speak to me and he began to say there comes a point in the lives of God's people 
where you have done everything you can do and you have been faithful and you have walked through it and the plagues have come and the devil hasn't let go of whatever is happening in your life or in the life of the church. But there comes a moment where God interjects himself in the battle. Now God already told Moses what was going to happen but God interjects himself in the battle and there will be a moment where the enemy is going to throw up his hands and says I'm tired of fighting. You just go. Have this. Do this. I don't want to fight anymore. I can't wrestle against God. You may have wrestled with the enemy long enough. You may have fought with everything you have but I've got a word from the Lord to you today that God is in the middle of it and when God is in the middle of it the devil says I'm tired of fighting. It just blows my mind. When you look at 430 years of Pharaoh winning, that's a long time. You look at nine plagues of Pharaoh winning, that's a long time. And I know because the Bible shows us some of the grumblings of the Hebrews. They didn't think it was ever going to stop. And I've had moments in my life battles that I have faced when I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt it was not a battle of Brandon it was not just life it was an attack of the enemy and I have walked through that and I've said God are you ever going to get me out of it and I have grown like those like those Hebrews grown there in Egypt and I have said it but God began to speak and he said there is coming a day very quickly where the enemy is going to get tired of fighting you and not only is he going to give up but he's going to give back everything that he stole and took He's tried the counterfeits, and it didn't work. Last, this, this, this weekend when I was there in Mississippi for a teacher training event, they had about 350 uh, 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 people there, you know, different teachers and Sunday school directors and pastor that gathered. It was an incredible event. God brought this to my mind. And he began to say, and there was a, a certain person, a certain church and, and, and pastor that God directed me to. And I began to pray with them. And God brought this to remembrance. And, and God, God told me, and I, I began to pray with them. And here's that prophetic word. He said, there are some cities that have been under the dominion of the enemy for way too long. And it seems like revival never pushes through. And it seems like the churches do everything. They've been there forever, but it never pushes through. But God began to say, Brandon, there is a coming a moment where the enemy that has held that city captive in dominion, he's going to throw up his hands and he's going to say, I can't fight anymore. You, everything I do, you just keep standing. Everything I do, you just keep going. And I can't seem to get it. And he's going to say, all right, here, I'll give you the kids. Start a bus ministry. Let it go. Here, I'll let you fill up a Sunday school department and a youth department. The devil says, just get out of my life. There's a moment where the enemy says, I'm done. I've fought with everything I could. But when God gets involved, the enemy can't fight any longer. I had that written down for the last week that has consumed my thoughts. For the last week that has been there, but it was unfinished. It was an unfinished thought in my book. And then, brother... Sharon began to preach. Friday night, as he began to preach, God began to fill in the blanks. 
Second Kings. I'm not going to read it verbatim. I'm just going to tell you the story. Second Kings chapter 7. There's this story of, of Jerusalem under siege. The siege is so bad, they're, they're eating dove dung. They're, they're, they're eating the head of, 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 of donkeys. In fact, the siege is so bad, they're boiling and eating their own children. And outside the gate are four lepers. They're not allowed to come in because of their, their, their leprosy. They're not allowed to come in because of, uh, of their dysfunction. But really, the enemy doesn't want them either because who wants a leper? So they're just able to exist in this no man's land. Now, I remember there are some stories that just get ingrained in your mind. I could tell you, I could go back, and I could tell you when, when in, in De Quincey, Louisiana, I would have been probably eight or nine years old. I remember vividly the, the Sunday school teacher there telling me or, or telling this story. And in this story, I remember him acting it out, and it's in my mind. And then Brother Sheeran began to preach on it, and it began to play out. And there was this statement that was made by Brother Sheeran, and it just it, it stuck within me. And that is those four lepers took stock of their situation and they said if we stay here we're going to die of starvation if we go over there to the Syrian camp they're probably going to shoot us full of arrows or chop our head off and we'll die there stay here die go there die we can't go in there so they said how about we just go and maybe we'll find a scrap of food and we can help the gnawing of our bellies and the hunger there and so those four lepers got up from their position and their place and they began to march. I remember vividly Brother Roger Creel, that Sunday school teacher, telling me as a, as a young boy and, and, and he was an incredible teacher and he, I remember him telling that story Brother Hera and I remember him saying that, that God, he turned to his heavenly sound man and he said I need a microphone and he put a microphone down by the feet of those four uh, lepers and as they were walking God was, was putting a heavenly sound system on their marching and what the Syrians heard was the marching of thousands upon thousands of, of, of people and and the Syrians thought, oh, we're, we're, we're being attacked. And they began to run and they began to kill each other in the melee. And they retreated. And by the time those four lepers got to the Syrian camp, nobody was there. But they had left all the food and all of the spoils and all of the, the weapons. And they began to gorge themselves. And then one of them said, you know, we ought not save this for ourselves. And they walked all the way back to the city. And the city came out. And if I remember correctly, the Bible said it took them three days to pick up the spoils. Brother Sheeran made a, a, uh, a statement. Wrote it down, and I like it. He said, if you'll try, God will amplify. I began to put that together. In fact, I walked up to him later, and I said, thank you, Brother Sheeran, for preaching, because you just finished the sermon that I'm going to preach Sunday morning. And that is, there is a moment that is happening right now in the lighthouse and a moment that is happening right now in the lives of you that are here where you have fought and you have been imprisoned and you have felt the, the attack of the enemy for so long. But I have a word that's clear.
clear that says the enemy is about to get to the place where he's tired of fighting and he's going to throw up his hands and he's going to say, just take whatever you want to take. Just do whatever you want to do. I don't want to mess with it anymore. But it's because there's somebody that begin to lift up their hands and lift up their voice. Maybe you didn't feel like it, but you were clapping this morning. Maybe you didn't feel like it, but you lifted up trembling hands and said, God, I don't see the end and I don't know the end from the beginning, but I'm just here today to tell you, God, I just need your help one more time. And I hear the Lord looking down saying, just stand, just keep marching. I know you don't know what's over the other hill or the other horizon, but right now while you're marching, I'm doing a mighty miracle and the enemy's done left and he's left everything for you. He's tried his own counterfeits, but it doesn't work. The world's getting tired, and I'm going to tell you, I I believe this with all my heart. The world's getting tired of the enemy's counterfeits. I don't know how to say this clearly where you can understand it, but the Bible tells me that when the Hebrews left, There were 600,000 men, not counting women and children. There's this other part of that verse that says, and a mixed multitude of people. Not only did did the Egyptians give them... I, I preached. I preached it a little bit last week. You know where the Hebrews got all the gold and the silver and all the thread and all the, the, the stuff to build the tabernacle? You know where they got it? From Egypt. So yeah, we get that. As they were as they were marching, I get this this picture of, of the Egyptians opening the windows and it's like Mardi Gras. They're throwing stuff out the window. They're saying, "Here, just just go. You can take it. Here here's some gold. Here's But there was enough Egyptians that said, "I'm tired of the counterfeit." I've watched the counterfeit where where all Pharaoh could do was add more frogs. I never got release. I never got salvation. Oh, it looked good. It, it, had a, it had a form of godliness, but it denied the power thereof. And, 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 and there is a lot of people in this world that's getting sick and tired of the enemy's counterfeits. And they're saying, we're done. And when the enemy finally is tired of fighting you and he throws up his hands, there's a mixed multitude of people they're going to walk out. It's not just the freedom of the Hebrews that walked out of that place, but it was the freedoms of some Egyptians as well. And there's some Egyptians that were integrated into the presence of God because they were tired of what the enemy was doing. And the enemy didn't only lose the people of God, he lost all the ones he thought he had right smack dab in the middle of his hand. When the enemy gets tired of there's so much more that, 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 that I think I could say, but I, I run the risk of just being redundant. But I do believe here at Lighthouse, as we take some forward steps into 2020, I believe you're going to find and you'll be able to go back and look at last Sunday and you'll be able to look at this Sunday and Sunday's coming and you're going to say, Pastor, I understand what the Word of God was trying to say because the enemy's fault all he could spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of darkness, it's present evil. But there's a release that's happening. And when that release happens, it's not going to be just a trickle. It's going to be multitudes. And there is freedom. 
But I also feel very strongly about some individuals, and not that I have your name, it's not that I even know who you are. I just know that God said this is not just only for the church proper. It's for some individuals who's been fighting, you've been struggling, you've been pushing, you've been 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 just you've been there for 430 years, if I can use that analogy. But God said, just keep standing, because I'm involved now. Our devil can fight against you devil can throw everything he wants at you and it hurts and, 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 and by my own ability I cannot withstand but when God gets involved it's not just that the devil's gonna gonna say alright I'm done I'm gonna raise the right flag no no he gets tired of you and he says just take it all I'm done I wonder if you could raise your hands right now Father in the name of Jesus I preach your word I preached the 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 pull and the desire of your word today. Lord, I realize that you are doing something supernatural in the lives of Lighthouse Church here in O'Fallon and our communities around it. Lord, I believe there is things that have been prophesied for years and years and years, but now, Lord, this is, it's this, it's the time is now. It's the time where those prophecies that we may not have understood, we may not have have come to the conclusion, we we may have heard them and it sounded good, but we didn't know how it was all going to play out. But I believe that we are in the place where the prophecies now come to pass. And we're going to look back and we're going to say, oh, that's what you meant, Lord. That's what you meant. I get it now. Lord, there's some prophecies that you've spoken to those individuals in this place. And Lord, I believe right now you're talking and you're speaking and you're letting them know that you're in control and you're in charge and you're fighting. And though we may not understand it, nor may we see it in action, but can we just rest assured that when you're in it, the enemy can't fight any longer. So Lord, I pray as I open these altars that we could come with faith buoyed, that we could come with hands lifted. And Lord, if there's anybody here that the word of God has reached out and grabbed a hold of them, would you let them get out of their pew? And would you let them walk with their head raised and their hands raised? And let them come giving you all the worship and all the praise. You are with us. You have heard our cry. And Lord, we may be in the middle of the plagues, but I feel the ninth plague has already happened. And we're standing on the precipice of the tenth. And when the tenth comes about, the enemy's going to throw up his hands. Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you begin to move? Would you begin to have your way in Jesus' name?